Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 14 of all the places we could go would be Leviticus for Mother's Day. Leviticus, let's look at verse number 37. This is talking about, uh, gives us instructions on what to do if a plague is hitting the home. And I hope it'll speak to your family. And he shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house with ingrained streaks, I'm going to talk to you about the streaks in the wall of your home. Greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall. Verse 44 says, And the priest shall come and look, and indeed if the plague is spread in the house, it is active leprosy. Of course, we know a house can't have leprosy, so it's speaking about something different than the actual disease of leprosy. And the King James Version actually says, Fretting leprosy or angry leprosy. Verse number 48, we're just bouncing through it. I'll fill in the gaps in a minute. It says that if the priest comes and examines and the plague is not spread in the house, then the priest shall pronounce the house is clean because the plague is healed. Isaiah chapter 4, one more verse, Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 4. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place, not just his dwelling place or his house, but above every house, every dwelling place, that's your home and my home. And above her assemblies, a cloud of smoke by day, the shining of flaming fire by night, for over all the glory there will be a covering. The glory will be their covering. Before we pray, what I want you to catch is that in each of these texts, something is coming against the family. Something's working against the family, which just tells us that your family has to be contended for. You can't take a neutral position when it comes to your family. You have to fight. You have to be willing to fight. Families are something, if you want your family to win, if you want your family to make it, you have to have some fight in you. And the scripture gives us instructions on that. It specifically says that you have to raise up a defense in your home. And the way that you do that is by inviting the glory of God into your home. Glory is a spiritual word, but it literally means weight, heaviness. It means density. So if God is dense in your life, it's like a wrecking ball. Everything you come up against, it moves. But if God is not heavy, not weighty. The opposite of that would be he's loose, he's light, he's airy, he's fluffy. It's like a feather pillow. Anything that you try to move in your life, instead of you moving things, those things begin to move you. When something hits your life, you don't have any density or weightiness to you, and you're just pushed around by every trial and struggle that comes into your life. So The Bible says the way you do this is you invite the glory or the weightiness of God into your home. Not just God's home, but you take what happens here on Sunday and you say, I want that in my home on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I want God's glory, God's weightiness in my home as well. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word. 
I pray you encourage homes in here today, inspire, refresh, and encourage moms as well. They're such a critical part of your plan in the family, and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Now, does anybody in here have a messed up family? A messed up family? Man, I can tell you that there were some days where I realized that my family Not just the way I was raised was messed up, but the family I was raising was messed up as well. Sarah and I had Thanksgiving several years ago, and we decided to go to Gatlinburg for Thanksgiving, this place that we took the girls growing up, this cabin that a family in the church lets us use. And so we took off on Wednesday and got there late, and we decided we'd go to Kroger and get our Thanksgiving stuff. And we'd never done that before. If you go Thanksgiving shopping on Wednesday, there's nothing left. So... so. The shelves were bare. There's no stuffing. There's no, you know, there's no turkeys. We went to the rotisserie chicken area, and there was one rejected rotisserie chicken left. One left. It wasn't even really rotisserie chicken. It was more burnt skin and bones. When we went to go check out, they didn't even make us pay for it. They looked at it, and they just gave it to us. So the next day, we got the girls together. And we started to have our Thanksgiving meal, and I just taught a message on the very first Thanksgiving and how uh, because of the conditions uh, with the pilgrims when they first came to America, all they had was five kernels of corn on each and every plate during Thanksgiving, but they still expressed to one another the things that they were thankful for. So I told the church, hey, this Thanksgiving, no matter if you have a lot or a little, would you take some time and talk to the people around the table about the things that you're thankful for? And because I told you all to do it, I had to do it. And so I'm looking at my Thanksgiving, you know, the girls, and I said, okay, so we're going to do this. We're going to go around and tell each other something we're thankful for. And so we started with Lauren, my youngest daughter, and she was just up here. And so Lauren starts to talk about some things that she's thankful for, and she starts to talk specifically. uh, She gets to Savannah, and she doesn't have anything to say. And we're like, come on, babe, you got something, surely something in your sister you're thankful for. And she says, no, there's nothing. I have nothing about her that I'm thankful for. And we're like, yeah, 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 but you got to have something. And then Savannah gets offended, and she starts fighting with Lauren. That's your problem. That's why I don't like you, because you're so ungrateful for everything. And I'm so good to you, and you're so me. And they're fighting. They're going. And then Sarah jumps in, and she's, she starts to get onto them. This is Thanksgiving. We're trying to do something nice for you. And the Savannah starts to make it a point to say, this isn't Thanksgiving. We don't have anything like Thanksgiving. We got some burnt chicken and some bones. You don't, you don't have the jello. Like there's a special jello that Sarah makes that really is what Thanksgiving's all about, is this special jello. And she's like, we don't even have the special jello you make. And And so then Sarah gets mad. Now Sarah's fighting and Sarah starts crying. She leaves the table, runs up to the room, slams the door, locks herself in the room. Savannah goes to her room, slams the door, locks herself in the room. Lauren goes to her room, slams the door, locks herself in her room. And I'm sitting there with that rejected rotisserie chicken for Thanksgiving. This is what I want you to, what I want you to know is, as I go into this, I'm going to talk about some things that maybe are going to touch some, some sensitive spots with you, but all families in some way are messed up. The Bible says concerning the glory of God, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So even if you feel like you're in an imperfect situation, what you need to know is you still are a candidate for the weight to invite the weightiness and the heaviness of God 
into your family. And Leviticus tells us how we can do this. It says what you need to do is when you think about your home is you have to study the streaks in the wall. And it says that there's these red or green streaks and the nature of these streaks are they grow and they spread. Then what that tells you is you have something that the Bible says is angry leprosy in your house. So it just speaks of a spirit that has a way of eating away at your home. And it can be this thing that literally just begins to get active and aggressive. And before you know it, it may be started small, but it can increase and grow and spread. It just starts as a little thing, but it can begin to be an angry thing in your home. And so the Bible says you have to go and study the streaks in the walls of the home. It doesn't ask you to go look at the landscaping of the home. It doesn't ask you what the curb appeal of your home is like. It's not asking you what the square footage is like if you live in a gated subdivision. It doesn't ask if you uh, have the most standout home in your neighborhood. It asks you to go look at the walls. How are the walls of your home today? How are the internal areas, the unseen, the intimate areas of your home? The Bible calls those things streaks in the wall. And if they're spreading, if it's, if it's growing, the Bible says that you have to look at that because it's speaking to you about the condition of your home. Is there anger in your home? Is there strife or tension or bitterness Has unforgiveness found its way into the home? Resentment, fault finding, is rage or revenge in the home? Verbal abuse, animosity, those are the streaks in the walls of our home. And God said to the children of Israel, in a warning, he says, you're going from Egypt in the wilderness and you're going into Canaan, you're going into the promised land, you're going to move into these homes, and when you go to move into them, I want you to be aware there's something on the inside of these homes that can destroy you and your family. They've just conquered every giant they've come up against, they've just overcome every mighty city they faced, every enemy that tried to attack them, they somehow or another discovered a way to get the victory in those situations, And the Bible says, now don't get all those victories on the outside and then find your way to the inside of your home. And when you get on the inside, you end up having your whole life destroyed because you neglected those unseen, hidden areas of your life. And so if the walls of your home could speak, what would they say? This is going to be a fun sermon, I can already tell. Sarah is the best mom I've ever met. I mean, Sarah is an incredible mom. Uh, I'm very close with both of my girls. My oldest daughter just got married last week. And I've actually had people ask me the question, how did you do such a a good job? My kids are far from perfect. I know that because they hang out with your kids. But (laughs) every now and then I got to get a jab in every now and then. And so we're aware of that. But but I really do have a close relationship with my girls. And I've been reflecting just, you know, when those of you that have married off your children, you kind of know that it's a, it's a reflective time. And I started to think about one of the strengths of, of Sarah and I's relationship is that she was such a champion of me behind the scenes. She was always making me a big deal to the girls. She was always talking about how much 
the girls meant to me and how much I loved them and how important they were to me. And she just was always really talking about how great of a dad that I was to them. And I started to think about, you know, whether I was what she made me out to be or not. I could have been much greater as a father, much more present, much more active even than what I was. But if I would have had the opposite behind the scenes, if she would have, you know, undermined or just did little things to tear me down or, or even if she was just neutral, I wouldn't have the relationship that I have with my daughters. It's not that we've always gotten along. It's not that we, you know, don't have some messed up stuff in our history. It's not that we haven't made mistakes. We've just found a way to have one another's back. And that's made a big difference in uh, our daughter's lives, especially with our relationship with them. For example, I just thought since Sarah's not here, she loves Mother's Day. This is like her favorite day of the year, but she's sick. And so I thought I'd bring up a mistake that she made instead of a mistake that I made (laughs) in her absence. I, I can, um, I came home, I'd been traveling a lot and I asked, you know, I said, where's Savannah? And she said, oh, she's driving around with so-and-so, a boy in the church. And we didn't let our daughters date until they were 16. She wasn't 16 yet. And I said, whoa, 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 back up. She's doing what? Oh, she's driving around with so-and-so, this, this kid in the church. I was like, no, she's not. There's no way she's doing that. She can't date. And she said, oh, they're not dating. They're just friends. They're just driving around listening to music. I'm glad y'all get it. Because I was like, what happened to your brain, woman? I said, that's called a date. No, it's not. He, when they're bored, he'll just call and they'll just go out and they'll drive around. I'm like, that's, that's a date. As a matter of fact, that's more than a date. My first date was something like they meet in a public place together that I have people hired to watch them. That's my idea of a date. Driving around in a car, listening to music. That's not my, that, that, that's more than a date. That's, that's, that's far beyond dating. No, no, that can't happen. There's no way. And she's like, oh, you, you think too much. You, you know, you're, something's wrong with you. He's a good kid. He loves the Lord. He's, he's in the church. I'm like, no, that's because I, I am one of them. I know I'm one of them. He's not driving around thinking about music. So I text Savannah, you get home right now or else. She pulls up in the driveway. I meet her in the driveway, open the door of the car and say, get out, get in the house. And he says, oh, hi, pastor. How are you doing today? Good sermon on Sunday. I was like, shut up. So we all have stuff. And I'm giving you the PG version of our stuff, by the way. But we've always had one another's backs. Even when the other person failed in some way or another. I love how Eve, the very first woman in the Bible, the Bible says she failed. She failed miserably, but God immediately turned it around and gave her a prophecy that out of her seed would come the destruction of the enemy. And maybe you feel like you failed in your home. Maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe you even feel like you've ruined things. 
What you need to know is that God can turn that thing around. That's the things plague our homes. Things attack our homes. Things work against our homes. And you have to be willing to contend for those things and just believe that God can turn those things around in your home. As a matter of fact, I prophesy over every mother in this room right now that God would turn those things around. Even the things that you believe the enemy has tried to ruin your family with, I prophesy that God will use that to defeat the enemy in your family. And so how do we invite the glory of God in our home? Or if the glory is not in our home, or if it is, what would the walls of your home say? Would they talk about that God is weighty and heavy in your house? Would they talk about the word of God being a priority? Would they say you worship in your home like you worship in church? Would they say that God's glory, as dense as it is here, that's our prayer, that it's your prayer that God is heavy and weighty in your home as well? Or are the streaks in the walls growing? Is the anger growing? Is the bitterness increasing? Is the unforgiveness and the contention and the wounds and the strife, are those things growing? Proverbs chapter 21, the Message Bible says, it's better to live in a shack than in a mansion with a contentious spouse. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, the Amplified says, don't be unreasonable, don't humiliate one another, don't become abusive or indifferent. That's probably the worst thing, is you don't even feel anymore. This is why it says it crushes and breaks the spirit of our children. You see, the streaks in the walls, those unseen areas, it drains your house from the glory of God. Instead of God being weighty and heavy, All of a sudden, he's just loose and light. Every time you let anger have its foothold, then what begins to happen is God gets fluffy in the home. He's just not weighty in the way that he's called to be. The commentary said that the reason for these streaks were when the Amorites and the Canaanites heard that the Israelites were coming, they hid their false gods and their demonic idols in the walls and the foundations of their homes. And so God told them, when you enter the promised land and you go looking for the home, what you're going to see is you're going to see the beautiful vineyards or the plush crops, or you're going to look at the size of the home or the beauty of the home. You're going to look at the view. But when you get on the inside, watch the streaks in the walls because God knew something they didn't. God knew that that Those streaks meant that there were hidden idols, that there were unseen issues. It meant that the foundation was being attacked. And it meant if the enemy has the foundation of the home, it's not something that they could just go cosmetically address. They couldn't just paint over it or wallpaper over it and it go away. If the enemy finds its way into the foundation of your home, the Bible gives you instruction on what to do. The Bible says that they had to invite the priest into the home and that he would scrub the walls down, make a sacrifice and apply the blood to the areas where there were the streaks in the walls. And once they would do that, that the priest could announce that this house was healed, this house was clean and that the plague was gone. 
What I want you to understand is there are some things that you cannot just deal with on your own. You have to be willing to say, God, we need you. You have to be willing to invite the Holy Spirit. You have to be willing to invite our high priest who is Jesus into the home. And you have to be willing to say there's anger and there's strife and it's spreading. And if you'll do that, then he can scrub the walls of your home. He has a way of bringing healing and wholeness and restoration. But you have to invite him into the home, into that situation. So there's three ways real quick that I wrote down. You can invite the weightiness of God into your home. Number one, Moses said, show me your glory. Show me your weightiness. God didn't look at Moses and object and say, no, I'm not going to do that for you. Why would you ever ask that? That's my glory. It's not your glory. The opposite. God said, climb the mountain and I'll show you my glory. Moses caught a glimpse of the glory of God. And the Bible says as a result, his face was shining with the glory of God. Anyone looked at Moses and his very face spoke of the weightiness of God. How God was weighty in Moses' life. You and I should be saying the same thing Moses did. God, show me your glory. Show me the areas in our home where you become fluffy and light and airy and loose. Show me the areas where anger is spreading or unforgiveness is spreading. Help me study the streaks in the walls of the home. And as a result, ask God to give you his glory. Ask God to give you weight in areas where you're weak. Ask God to give you strength in the areas where there's weakness. Ask God to give you grace in the power where you feel like those things are taking over in your home. Number one, you have to say, God, I need you to be weighty. Show me the areas of my life. I need your glory. Number two, glory is attracted, God's glory is attracted to worship. Isaiah 29 teaches us that worship isn't something that's lip service because you can worship with your lips and your heart still be far from God. So worship goes past lip service and worship includes the heart. Whenever God speaks of the heart, he means the whole life, all of your life. That not one area is off limits to God. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 31, whatsoever you do, do it with all to the glory of God. So don't just sing like you love Jesus and live like you love the world. Worship with your heart. Say, God, I invite you into every area of my life because that kind of worship attracts the weightiness of God into your life. And then number three, the glory of God needs to be revered and respected. Genesis 28, Jacob said God was in a place and he didn't know it. Your prayer should be, God, never allow me to become so familiar with your glory and your presence that I take it for granted. Because we are guilty of just thinking that, that God's glory and weightiness can just always be there. And the truth of the matter is Samson teaches us that you can lose the glory of God in your home, lose the weightiness of God in your life, and you not even know that it's gone. So we cannot forget that it really is the glory of God that makes the difference in our homes. And the Bible says the way Samson lost the glory was he became like every other man. In other words, as a believer, you're not supposed to be like everyone else. You're supposed to be marked with a difference. You're supposed to have a standard. And if you lose your standard, you lose your strength. You cannot lose one without losing the other. And I think it's important that 
you take the glory of God, the weightiness of God, and you respect it, you revere it, you adore it, you keep it precious in your life. And then in closing, as you invite the glory of God into your home, I think there's such a huge key that can immediately stop any plague of unforgiveness or anger or hurt from spreading in the home. Something so easy that every single person can do. In the Old Testament, whenever they would um, apply blood to the mercy seat, the glory of God, the Bible says, would come and kiss the mercy seat. So notice that what the glory of God was most drawn to was mercy. It works the same way in our homes. Unforgiveness, bitterness, those things just have a way of spreading. They have a way of growing. They have a way of spreading. But if you'll fill your home with mercy, what it does is it attracts the weightiness of God. If you just begin to say, God, I'm not going to look for justice. I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look here to punish. I'm not going to look here to you know, do what I can do to show so-and-so what they've done. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. God, I'm going to go ahead and give mercy. What's mercy? It's whether they deserve it or not, you say, I'm going to give you another chance. What mercy is, is whether you think that they deserve it or not, it's not the point. You say, I'm going to push the reset button. Anything that happened from this point back, I'm not going to bring up anymore. That's gone. That's buried. That's under the ground. I'm going to move forward with mercy. And if you'll fill your home with mercy, God will fill it with his glory. God will fill it with his weighty. And where God's glory is, guess what? The full weight of his goodness is there. Where God's glory is, the full weight of his grace is there. Where God's glory is, the full weight of his strength is in that place. And I don't know about you, but I need the glory of God, the weight of God. I need that wrecking ball to come and be behind me no matter what I come up against.